Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 646 with Nick Bogaz. You know, so you've got to be self-aware. That's probably the biggest lesson that I think I've learned is you have to know who you are. And you have to, you have to embrace the ugly parts and you have to really um, leverage the great parts. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365 a value of $5,000. It doesn't get easier than Cake. Cake is the point of sale built for restaurants that's easy to set up and use. With cloud-based access from any device, 24-7 customer support, and a lifetime access to Cake University, how could you not love Cake? To learn more about Cake point of sale, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you're a restaurant unstoppable listener, you will save $750 off activation. Again, that's trycake.com slash unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at Get bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Nick Bogaz. Nick, are you feeling unstoppable? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. So after 16 years of working in the pizza biz from delivery driver to store manager, Nick Bogaz built the confidence to open his own pizza place in 2012. Today, Bogaz is the president and founder of Calente Pizza and Draft House, an inspiring leader and team builder. He has grown his business to nearly 200 employees and Five locations in seven years. I cannot wait to hear your story and to find out how you did it. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Make it happen. Make it happen. Dive into that. How does that resonate with you? Well, I think it's really started as our family quote between my wife and I and our family. And we look at everything like there has to be a solution to it. And we just make it happen. Kind of dig in and whatever it is, whether it's, uh, you know, you're going to find out when we get into the story, you know, starting this company and this brand off with, uh, you know, a car with three donuts on it and, you know, 100 bucks in my pocket. And here we are. I mean, it's uh, it's all about just. Whatever it is, just make it happen. I love it. And I like to say all the time, there ain't nothing to it but to do it. And that kind of reminds me of your, your quote, just making it happen. I, and I also think when we say it's not possible, when we say it can't happen, our brain shuts off. But when we have that mentality of we can just make it happen, then that creative frontal lobe kicks into hyper gear and we just find you know solutions. And we, we figure it out. We make it happen, right? Absolutely. I love it. So where does it make sense to start sharing 
your story? Where does it all begin? Well, I, th- I think it all begins, you know, being younger and, you know, for all the way from the beginning, you know, uh, growing up in a family with uh, three brothers and a mom and a dad. And, you know, Friday night would be pizza night and we would just kind of wait for pizza night. And then if we'd have a uh, good report card, you get pizza to celebrate or you win a ball game and you'd be celebrating with pizza or whatever it is. So pizza was always there in my family growing up. And then um, I love sports. I mean, absolutely loved them. And I just was, wasn't any good at them. But I did find out that at an early age we had a youth foundation right by us, and I was able to coach my younger brothers who were six and four years younger than me. So I became their floor hockey coach and their soccer coach and their, um, ended up helping out on a little league team. I would be the third base coach and keep the score, and I was the umpire. And I really didn't realize it until later on in life that I, I gained a lot of leadership qualities at a young age, uh, being able to have all those, those uh, you know, basically c- coaching my brothers. And also what would happen is I was the guy who always had the extra practices. You know, the 14-year-old kid that would have a Friday night would have the, you know, the eight, nine-year-olds in the gym working on different floor hockey moves and different passes. And then we'd pull these out in the games. And it was like, you know, the other teams were, what the heck? And we always won the championships. And it was just was fun. So I that's think awesome. that's where the story begins because, um, you know, to be successful, I think you definitely have to have some leadership qualities for people to follow you. And I think that's been, you know, you can have, um, you know, it developed over time, but you know I think the leadership qualities definitely were were very very valuable at a young age. So, as a, a, a emerging coach, right? Were there any coaches that kind of helped form and mentor you and to give you these leadership skills, or were you a solo coach at this way? You must have had somebody else there, like an adult, uh, kind of steering you. No. Well, that's a good question because I've never really had that question when I tell the story. And I think what's interesting is so I was like this floor hockey coach, but then my brothers were on the the tournament baseball teams, you know, what traveled all, you know, all of June and July. And those were the parents were the coaches. Okay. And they were successful guys in their own right, own businesses or whatever it may be. And they were those baseball dads, you know, mm-hmm. and they were, you know, drilling these nine-year-olds about mental toughness and really coaching them. And they saw that I had a, a liking for, for coaching and they would, you know, I was the scorekeeper, but they also would, I helped with all the practices. And, you know, if one of the dads couldn't make it, I was the third base coach and I was a 14 year old kid. And I think they really, um, I looked up to those guys for sure. Was there one person, one in particular coach that really influenced you and informed you? Can you, can you draw one lesson from this individual? Well, I, I think the other part goes is, you know, at the Youth Foundation, there was probably more of a, a mentorship, if that's what you're getting to. There yeah. was there's a guy named Ken that was the uh, probably about seven or eight years older than me. He ran the Youth Foundation. And Ken really just, he probably at that time was like maybe 20, 21, 22. And he was the one that set up all the leagues, and he set up all the, picked all the coaches, picked all the teams. And he just had a really, um, just a good mantra about him. And then later in life, he became an elementary teacher. So yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I think there's one overarching lesson here that's kind of like it's there, but it's like kind of hidden, which is, you know, you mentioned that you weren't really good at sports when you were young, but you love sports, right? And there's always a, a you know, don't be so quick to write somebody off if they're not good at something. And you see this all the time in the restaurant industry where somebody might not be a star on the line or they might not be a star in the front of the house, but they're going to be a star someplace. So give them a chance. Find out where they belong. And for you, that was coaching. Like you had a natural leadership ability, a natural coaching ability. So don't just be so quick to write people off and say, you're not good at sports or you're not good at cooking or you're not good at serving. Like find their lane, help them, you know, put that energy someplace. Do you want, do you have any thoughts there? I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think um, you see that all the time in the restaurants. You know, you get a guy in and 
you know, he may not be the best driver, but before you know it, he's your best assistant manager two years later. Like, yeah. it just, you know, it, it takes time to, to be patient, you know, and, and develop people. And I think, you know, I always say you got to care about people before they care about you. And I think that's true. I think, um, you know, that helps develop people for Absolutely. sure. I love it. So when did you start getting into, you already confessed your, your passion, your love for pizza as a young man growing yep. up. Um, but when did you really start to get into the, like the kitchen and in, in, in the restaurants? Sure. So I was 17. I was washing cars. I also was working a couple different different gas stations as um, you know saving up money for stereo system for the car. So I was um, money hungry. And at the lunch table at school, my buddy said to me, he said, oh, I'm making all kind of tips delivering pizzas. And I'm thinking, well, I'm making car washing tips. And we compared tips and he was making way more money <laughs> delivering pizzas. So, you know, I always say the rest is history. I went down, uh, started delivering pizzas. I said to the the guy who was interviewing me, I said, I can come in at 3 o'clock. I can work till 11 every day. You know, I'm just in school. I'll work as much as you want. And um, it was a Turkish guy, and he said to me, he said, uh, you're hired. And then he said, how old are you? I said, 17. And he said, you tell nobody. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I started delivering on a, on a Wednesday, and on Friday, I wrecked my car in the middle of the dinner oh, rush. <laughs> yep, two days in. So, you know, right there you would think that, you know, there's going to be no, um, no pizza career for me. But, you know I loved that atmosphere. Yeah. I could feel the team excitement. There was probably about 25 or 30 people that Friday that I wrecked the car. I'm, I'm standing there waiting to tell the, the manager that I had wrecked my car. And you could just feel, you know, he's pulling everything out of the oven and he's yelling out times and yelling out deliveries and the, the cooks are yelling out when they're going into the oven. And you could feel the, you know, the phones are ringing and the dining room's hopping. And I just felt like it was... Um, you're part of something. Even though I was just standing there ready to tell the guy that I wrecked my car, I knew I wanted to come back because yeah. I could feel that there was a team atmosphere in there. So what happened when you told him you wrecked your car? How did you handle it? He was fine. <laughs> you know, I showed up next week with my mom's car. I was ready to go. And, uh, you know, he just was like, hey, are you going you gonna to come back? I was like, yeah, I'm coming back. And then um, I drove that car for another six months or so as a delivery driver, maybe a little bit longer. Um, I was really learning the roads. I was, you know, try to figure out how to take the most deliveries and and really became like you know i think a lot of what i do as a you know as you get older you find self-awareness more and i think what i've found out over the years is if i do anything i have to do it to the fullest mm-hmm. that's just me mm-hmm. um doesn't matter what what it is i mean it could be a hobby i have to do the hobby to the fullest if it's you know anything if it's uh whatever it is delivering pizzas i have to do it to the fullest i always have to so what's delivering pizzas done to the fullest to look like well i think it looks like you know if you get a delivery driver show up at your door and he shows up and he pulls up and uh, music is blaring. He comes out with you know shirt not even tucked in or anything, and he walks through your lawn. Then he comes up and you know knocks over your flower pot, bangs on your door, and then you open it up. You know you give him a tip. He doesn't really say anything and leaves. Or you can have a guy like me who shows up prim and proper, you know, as clean cut as you could be. Doesn't pull in the driveway because he doesn't want to want to uh, you know just wants to do it the right way. Yeah. So pulls up. And then I walk up the driveway, I pull, put that pizza nice high up above my head in the air, you know, <laughs> and walk up, knock on the door three times, wrap it up. Here's your piping hot pizza, pulls it out, you know, just like that, that craftsmanship of yeah. what it is, you know. You make and it into an experience. Absolutely. It's always an experience. Yes. Right? And then I think the other part would be, you know, when you learn the roads as a delivery driver, because, you know, both of us could get in our cars and go to an address right now, but if you know that there's going to be all kind of traffic going this way, I might be better making a left and going through some back yep. back neighborhood to get there oh, three minutes quicker. This way, it might be one minute longer than normal. Like if there's no traffic, but with traffic, I can save five minutes. Right. Right. Uh, so I'm loving this, and I think you bring up a really cool point: is that uh, 
even like with serving, like there's, you know, dropping off the food or there's really creating the experience, right? Really engaging people and, and showing them that you're caring, that you're present, that you, that you care about their experience, right? And I think there's a lot of interesting things right now, even like happening with like with DoorDash and like all these delivery, like Uber Eats, where like you, that experience ends when that person comes and picks up the food. Like, are they going to be representing your brand well? You don't have any control over that extension of the brand, right? But when you have somebody who's an in-house delivery person, like you can train these people, you can, you know, you can let them know that like, you know, the, the experience doesn't end until, you know, you're pulling out of the driveway, right? Yeah, I agree with that. I think the only, you know, it's a whole nother uh, episode. If Maybe we'll, get wait, into, we'll wait until... <laughs> yeah, to get into third-party delivery, but, you know, my take on it really is that, like, it's necessary evil. That, yeah. That's, that's Unfortunately, the, the problem, yeah. I think that there's a lot of unnecessary evils. We're, we're so reactive in this industry. Like, we just react to what the market tells us we need, and we react, react ourselves into corners. And we're like, before you know it, we're in this soulless, heartless industry, um, which... I know in some verticals, right? Not all verticals. Uh, maybe do you want do you want to reflect on that? Do you know where I'm hinting at? Or <laughs> well, I just think it's a little different for for the pizza deli- or for the pizza guys compared to like you know the 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 main restaurants like the full service restaurants that start delivering. Like now you've got the pizza guys. We've always like if you think about it, we own the delivery market for years and years and years. You know, maybe there'll be some Chinese restaurants that deliver, but we've we've owned it. So now you've got everybody in this space, you know. So it's like that's where it's tough for the guys. Like where do you really pick and choose? There's a lot of guys who are just like, I'm never going to use third party. I hate them. Kind of like where a lot of people are like with Yelp. You know, they're like, yeah. hey, you know, I'm never buying into Yelp. I just hate them, period, the end. You know, and I think people do that with third party too. But what I found with third party is, you know, if you're not on that list, then they're not ordering from you. They're not yeah. ordering from – even if they end up with Applebee's at their house that night from Uber Eats – they're not ordering from Applebee's. Yeah. They order from Uber Eats. So mm-hmm. if your name's not on that list on Uber, Uber Eats, you have no chance. You know, if there's 20 yeah. restaurants listed, you are one in 20 yeah, chance. I 100% agree with you that it is a, a, a unnecessary evil, right? Because that, that's just, we react to the market. We have to be where, the, where, where our market is, where our demographic is. And if they're on these platforms, it's a marketing tool, flat, right. flat out marketing tool. I totally get that. But I think we're going into a rabbit hole right now. I want to bring it back to your story. Uh, so... Did I read in your book? We should mention too. Your book is about the the pizza equation, slicing up how to run a successful pizza enterprise. Uh, did I see that you worked at six total locations before opening your first place? Yeah, so I worked at um, I worked at a bunch. So basically, you know, getting back to the story, I guess you're right. You know, that that third party rabbit hole is the, the deep one. We could be. <laughs> you're welcome for, to come back. Yeah, right. Deep into that. If you no, want. it's uh, <laughs> it's perfectly fine. So you know. I started as delivery driver. Then uh, after I wrecked the first time, I wrecked the second time. Yeah. At that point, um, you know, like I was telling you, that I developed into this great delivery driver. And that's where I was getting with the, I do everything to the fullest. So they were like, hey, you're a great delivery driver. You know, you wreck your car again. Why don't you be the oven tender? This way you can send everybody out on deliveries. You can route everybody mm-hmm. the fastest routes. So Friday night I learned the oven and I've been sent. you know, I would send everybody out. And that's where I cut my teeth in the restaurant industry was – you know, the oven in the pizza industry would be like the expediter um, in a restaurant. Okay. You know, and that's that's kind of where I was for probably the next year, year and a half. Um, became a cook, then worked my way up. They made me a shift manager. So here I am, oh, probably like a 19-year-old kid as a shift manager thinking, you know, you know, I was thinking about going to college. I was like, I don't need to be go to college. I'm 19. I'm a manager already. <laughs> you know, so that's kind of where I was there. And then um, when I was 20, I found out that my um, girlfriend was going to have a baby. So I said, well, she said, what are we going to do? And I said, let's get married and get a house. And, you know, 19 years later, we have two kids and uh, been happily married. And I 
at that point I said, well, I've got to really be a manager, you know, and, and I wanted to be, I was the assistant manager at the time of the restaurant, but to be the general manager, I would have to leave because the general manager was also the owner. So they, I worked for a group called Pizza Outlet, okay. which had 46 locations when I started. Was this the first location they started? Yes. Okay. So when I was uh, 17, I started there. When I left, um, when I was 22, they had 110 stores. Wow. So I saw expansion at a year, really young age. I was a little bit too young to really get in on the expansion. The guys that were like 23, 24, they were the ones that really yep. became like district supervisors at like 23 years old. They were the guys that, that got into, you know, got to be the success of all the expansion. But I think for me, I became um, the assistant manager, and then I had to leave the main pizza outlet and go down to the city to work to be a general manager. So that's, um, that's what I was planning on doing. And then after I was downtown for about four months, the um, store head left, called me up, and said, hey, even though you're going to be an assistant manager, we're gonna, we want to pay you what the general manager gets because we, we want you back. Yeah. So then I came back, and I was there for about a year, and then I realized I really needed that general manager title. You know, at that point, I was like, I need a title more than, you know, if I'm going to work my career. Why? I just felt like um, when you work for a company and there's no expansion, you know, and, and they plan on having one store forever, I could never, I needed to be more than just an assistant manager. You weren't so concerned about the, the cash flow at this time. You're concerned about the reputation, the, the, the resume, right? Yes. The title. So you can continue to, to progress in your career. Absolutely. Gotcha. And that's a key lesson right there. When you're just getting started in this industry, don't follow paychecks. Money is important. I get it. But early in your career, what you're looking to develop is your reputation, is your personal brand. So you can go get that next job. So you can go get the, the bank loan if you want to open your own place. So, so, you, so you have this experience under your belt, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important that you work, work towards something. You know, and that, that's where I went to the next spot was um, a Fox's Pizza, which uh, is a franchise. And they... Hired me in as a general manager. It was a guy who had um, maybe 12 houses on the side that were like, uh, he was basically like a, a slumlord. And he said, hey, I'm going to take this money. I'm, I'm cash flowing from the houses and I'm going to open up a pizza shop. And he hired a manager, which was me, to run the pizza shops. Now, the guy was, I think what he did really well was the numbers. He's the first one that sat down and showed me, opened up the books, and said, this is what it costs for the dumpster. This is what it costs for electric. This is what it costs for everything. I mean, he showed me a P&L on like a spreadsheet, tablet, handwritten in pencil. And, um, but he also was the same guy that when like the penny saver or the green sheet would pull up for their bill, he'd say, Nick, go talk to him. I'd go out, and then he'd be hopping in his car and driving, driving down the road. You know, I mean, that's just the type of guy he was. But at the same time, I mean, he really showed me his books. And then, so did you ask to see the books, or is this something he just did? He just did. I'm that's like awesome. a 21-year-old kid, and he was like, hey, you're going to be the manager here. You have to know why we're running this store. Yeah, we don't do that. Well, I mean, don't, it doesn't even start with necessarily the manager. Like, take your line employees, right, and show them how it works. And let them see the big picture right well everybody always thinks that you know you sell a pizza for 10 bucks that you know cost you two dollars to make it and it's kind of funny even when you have uh employees that you know we're breaking down food costs and they're like wow you're telling me that we make five dollars off of that and i'm like yeah but it costs you know like a wing you'd be like yeah but it costs five dollars to make the wings like our food costs on wings like 47 percent. like yeah. so what if we make five dollars on an order of wings like you know you you can't survive on 47 percent food costs you know yep. it's not about the um what you're making off of something it's all about those percentages like you have to really dial it down because at the end of the day there's only 100 percent left you know or 100 percent total so you know when you start taking these percentages out you're left with you know what you're left with and if you've got high food costs or high labor like i think that's where after i worked at the foxes i went and i worked for um you know i was there for his kiss of death was he opened a second store 
and it was the cliche. That was the second restaurant. Well, that was his first one. When he opened this. That was the second restaurant you worked at. It was the second restaurant I worked at. And when he opened, I was at the first restaurant. He opened a second restaurant. When he did that, it was a kiss of death for him. What, knowing what you know now, reflecting back at that time and how he went about opening the second restaurant, what would you have told him if you were you know, his consultant today? I think his problem was is he just was – he had other businesses. So he was like – he wasn't just pulling money out of the restaurants to run the restaurants. He was pulling money out of his, you know, his 12 houses he had to run the restaurants and he was pulling money out of the restaurants to help the 12 houses like he had a lot of different things going on you know and he was um i think it was more like the etiquette of it like the ethics of it that you know everything comes back around to get you if if you have to you know pay everything on time pay your bills you know like like I, you would never catch me telling somebody to go up and talk to somebody at the front counter, and then I'd be driving out the parking lot. Like that's just not how I do business, you know. Mm-hmm. Like if it's a local vendor, I try to pay them right away, like within the first week, you know. And if it's some other type of vendor, you know, we'll, we may pay within the if it says within twenty four days, we pay within twenty four days. Like we're never l- like that. Like when you start trying to figure out, oh well, I I know I don't have to pay this guy for two months because he's not going to call me. And then, you know, when he shows up for two months, you just dodge him for another two weeks because you know he's going to forget to call you. Like, you just – eventually that it just all catches up to you. Like, so I think he was – I don't think you could have told him anything. Yeah, I mean – <laughs> so, so does that make sense? Like, you like couldn't you just, tell him anything. What I'm pulling from you is that he wasn't necessarily present. And maybe he was being pulled in too many different directions where he couldn't have that presence. And it sounds like his businesses were dependent on him and not necessarily on the, the systems and the process that – systems and the processes he should have created did he create any systems or processes or was it just kind of completely dependent on the people that were in the restaurant no he he was present he just um he just was like ethically like a terrible person like but (laughs) that doesn't help no but at the same time like like he wasn't a terrible person he was terrible terrible business ethics got you great person gotcha does that that, that's a little better to clarify he was a great person he really was he's super genuine to me and i mean he really took me under his wing and i learned a ton from him but like it was everything you wouldn't do in a business so up to this point um except for the first restaurant that was corporate i'm assuming 100 locations and then this was independent the second location you're working at was independent um the four other locations were they all corporate because so the first one first one was half and half like we started corporate and then um a guy bought it became a franchise store about three years in. Okay. And then when I worked for um, the Foxes with this guy I'm talking about now, it was a it was his franchise store. It was his first store. But they have like 110 stores or more. Okay. Um, they're kind of niches. They like to be the big fish in a small pond. Yeah. So they go to a lot of rural places. That's kind of how, how they – it's just pick up and delivery pizza gotcha. shop in like the small town. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, so, you know, he said to me, hey – you know, it was really the only time I've ever been fired. He told me, he said, hey, look, um, you know, I'm not going to be able to afford you, and I'm going to close soon, so you don't have a job anymore. Ugh. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, um, you know, I did some... How old are you now? 20, 21? 21, okay. with maybe 22, because I had both kids then. Okay. So 22, I have both my kids. You know, we're, we're just um, trying to figure out what we're going to do next, you know, and I saw um, general manager job at... at um, Papa John's, and I said, you know what? I'm going to see if I can get in there. I was like a naive young kid. What year is it now? Oh, it's got to be um, like maybe 98, 99, okay. 2000, right gotcha. around so there. So this is right, right around Papa John's when they're really starting to emerge. Yeah, they were. Okay. You know, and they had um, they had four stores here in Pittsburgh, um, and the franchise group also had another 11 stores in Ohio. Okay. So 
you know, I get the job, and as soon as I, I start the job there, um, I find out that, you know, he, when he interviewed me, you know, he said, hey, do you think you're going to be able to run this store? And I interviewed great, and I was like, yeah, I'm really hungry. I want this job, blah, blah, blah. And I asked the best question I think you can ever ask in an interview. What's that question? Okay, so at the very end, when they say, do you have any more questions? You say, yes, I do. Is there any reason you wouldn't hire me? Oh. You know, and they said, yeah, there is a reason we wouldn't hire you. Um, we have a very young staff here, and you're 22, and Alaska, I couldn't control them. We're not sure you're going to be able to control, you know, all these young kids. Yeah, it's hard to, to lead peers, right? Right, and I was able to say, hey, look, I have two kids at home. You know, I'm, I may look young and be young, but, you know, I'm on a career focus, and I want this more than anything. Awesome. And he was like, you know what? You're hired right Love there on the spot. So, like, I've used that, that question that question many times for for getting a job i love it it shows you care right yeah you're not just there going through the motions right and it also gives you a chance to rebut anything that they may be thinking because as soon as you leave you can't you can't tell them that hey i can lead that you know Mm -hmm. or you know there was um i will get to the next time i use that question in a little bit but yeah (laughs) but i feel like this at papa john's um because i did read your book i I went through it uh, during the 10-hour ride here actually i was going through it and uh the it seems like Papa John's is really where you grew as a professional. It's really where you started to take it to the next level. So how did you transform during this time? What were the biggest lessons, the biggest ways you evolved as a professional at Papa John's? Okay, so we would go to these meetings, right? And they would be in Ohio. So you'd hop in a car with these three three other general managers of Pittsburgh. I was this 22-year-old kid. They were, I don't know, 30, 40, and 50, say, right? And I still talk to all three of these guys today. Okay. You know, 15, 20 years later. Like, they're great friends of mine. Love it. So we would go dra- travel out there every every month. You go out there, you sit there, and they'd be like, uh, the guy would stand up, the franchisee, and he'd say, hey, art in Youngstown's up 10%. Everybody clap for art. Oh, great. <laughs> Next meeting, you go out there, and they'd say, you know, uh, Jay in, Jay in Ashtabula is up 12%. Everybody clap for Jay. Okay, great. You know? <laughs> and we had a supervisor who was just in Pittsburgh. We were like the the stepchild so to speak you know because there's 11 stores that all kick ass in ohio and here we are in um, pittsburgh that were kind of like eh stores you know that would the university of pittsburgh store did well all the other ones were like a struggling market because you had you know four papa john's and you had 110 pizza outlets you know what i'm saying yeah. so it was it was what it was but um you couldn't tell those guys that so anyway I had a supervisor there, and he was pretty rough on me, and he would, you know, tell the other guys, oh, he's going to fire Nick because, uh, you know, the ovens aren't clean enough or the, the baseboards are dirty, blah, blah, blah. You know, meanwhile, I'm working like 89 hours a week in this restaurant, like just trying to kick ass, you know, mm-hmm. just trying to, like, prove myself. And it dawned on me. I was like, you know what? If I can go out to these meetings and be the guy that everybody's clapping for, like, sales fixes everything. And then I read uh, Guerrilla Marketing by Jay Levinson, front to cover. And went back to the next meeting. They said, hey, everybody clap for Nick. He's up 10%. Go back to the next meeting after that. Hey, Nick's up 20%. Everybody clap for Nick. Nice. Go to the next meeting. Hey, Nick's up 42%. Nick, tell everybody what you're doing. When you say up like 10, 20, is this from the from each previous meeting or from the beginning? So this will be year over sales. Okay. That's how they did everything. It was gotcha, over gotcha. last year. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, you know, we went from like 10% over last year to 20% so over thinking, last year. if you're year. like 70% up from like, yeah. you know, the original meeting, that would be crazy. But you're up 40 from the previous, but, yeah. which is still amazing. Which right. is still amazing. So what, when they asked you to, to teach the team what you were doing, what were you doing? What okay. So what we were doing at that point was we were, you know, I read the book and it, it basically was talking about like going after big customers. You know, you can, you can try and market to like all these like little guys but you also like if you figure out who you want to sell the most pizzas to 
And then rather than trying to sell one pizza, try and sell ten pizzas. So we were going to, you know, the swim swim club and selling, you know, at the. I set up contracts to sell pizzas at the swim club. Then we would go to the concession stands at little leagues and concession stands at football games, and we were now selling in the concession stands. And then we also were hooking up different um, different places where there may have been like bingo night at the fire department i was going saying hey can we sell you pizzas for you know the fire department and then what i really did that kind of was like the the real kick-ass thing was i got three delivery drivers they showed up every single morning at 10 a.m i made them each 30 pizzas so 90 total that nobody ordered right so nobody ordered them and i would give them to them and say go out and sell these pizzas you sell them for six you give me five so you know if you take five times five times 30 you know, so how much money's coming back? They would go out and sell them, and then basically from what we did there is, um, or five times ninety, so we had four hundred fifty bucks coming in. They weren't even sold on on the sales, so they would go to WalMarts, big box stores, Pet Boys, um, all the different construction sites. And I said, hey, look, at the end of the week, if it was the same three drivers, I said if you do this five days in a row, I'll give you a steak dinner. So I call out back and be like, hey, trade me, um, you know three steak dinners and i'll send you up 10 pizzas nice. you know something like that so then every week they come in they'd sell their 450 pizzas you know and then or they'd sell their um their 90 pizzas a day 90 times five i have one guy come back in the afternoon and he'd go from five to seven and sell another so we were basically selling 500 worth of pizza five times a week so 2500 worth of pizza that nobody ever called called and ordered for yeah and i mean that is like guerrilla marketing to the t but i love it because beyond that like you're not just when you're initially when you're going to the pool when you're going to the baseball games you're going to the fire station they're not expecting you to be there but what you're doing is you're establishing a relationship you're not just selling those five pizzas or those seven pizzas you're establishing a relationship and being a person of value you're you're providing value you're here you're, they're probably getting a discount i'm a Right? Sure, like yep. huge discount. So you're providing value, and more importantly, you're beginning that relationship, right? And they would go back an, another time, right? So now it's one, two, three times they're back. Now this person is there's a name tied to the restaurant, right? That's Johnny from you know Calentis, like or wherever you, uh, you know Papa John. So I think that's like the really cool thing is like you're 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 putting the ball in motion, you're, you're developing that momentum, and you're getting the relationship going. And like at the end of the day, business is all about relationships, right? Absolutely. And I think that that's exactly what happened there is, you know, we built that up. We got embedded in the community. And you think about it, too. Somebody that tries your pizza at a baseball game, you know, they may only have one slice. But then they go home like, wow, that's really good slice. You know, we, want, we should order from them. And then yeah. you end up getting a new customer. Yeah. So how much of a hit did you take with all this? Because, I mean, you, you weren't selling. Were you breaking even just to, like, cover your market you know, to get the people out there? Or were you profiting? Yeah, we, we profited there. Like, I think that's the other thing, too. So we're talking about, like, 1999 if you're selling $5, 14-inch pizzas. Yeah, yeah. You know, but Papa John's was really big on, you know, um, we have the best ingredients for the chain, so they, we should be sold at full price. Like, they were pretty big on that. But at the same time, it's hard to argue when you've got this young kid that's up 42% over the year before. That's awesome. You know, and I think they're really focused on the, the sales there. And then what happened was ran that store for a year, Got all kind of awards on the walls from the little league and everything would give me plaques, and then I got record sales weeks, you know, week after week after week, and I'm hanging those all up. And a guy come in, ordered pizza, um, gave me his, you know, came in, ordered a pizza, and he left. And then he came back in, and he said, uh, "Hey, I'm from uh, Domino's Pizza up the road. We want you to to come to Domino's." I was like, "Look, buddy," I was like, "You see everything that's on my walls here? Like, there's no reason that I'm gonna leave here. Like, this yeah. is, um, you know, I'm so happy here." That card burned a hole in my pocket. You know, about four days later, I called him. Next thing I know, um, 
you know, I'm down in the south side of Pittsburgh opening up a, a Domino's pizza that was there for years and years and years, but it closed up. And now, uh, you know, it, it opens up the first week doing like three grand. And um, I just fell in love with Domino's. I Why? did. What was different about Domino's? Uh, Domino's is all pizza guys. You know, yeah. pa- Papa John's is the numbers business guys who really reflect on like the charts and stuff. And, and um, Domino's is guys, you had to own a franchisee. You had to be a cook or a driver. Like you had to, you can't just buy a, a Domino's franchise. Like you can't, like a you business gotta be, guy. You got to be in the business. You, you, ha- the you have to be working at a Domino's to buy them. And gotcha. at that time they were all like, there were so many guys that, that really felt that expansion. You know, they grew up and there were some wild stories from like, you know, basically what, what the guy told me was he said, Hey, look, when I had that interview with him after the card burned a hole in my pocket, he told me about the Freddie Weeby story. Freddie Weeby is a guy who went to college, started delivering pizzas at the Gainesville University of Florida, um, Domino's down there. You know, the guy sells him his store, and Freddie builds it up to where he's got four or five stores down in Gainesville. And it's like the busiest Domino's pizza in the country. Like when Florida plays Florida State, they bring in the tractor trailer to be his walking cooler. (laughs) Like he has built it to like this massive. And it's all from like guerrilla marketing, like the stuff that I love. Like he's got... You know, if you wrote him a letter, he'd send you his book and his packet, which I still have today. It was like all these different like things that he would do to the dorms and the specials and all the, all this crazy stuff. And um, so when I I started working the Southside Dominoes, uh, the guy that I worked for about nine months in, um, he was the owner. He split ties with with the other owner, and he moved over to Wilkesbury on the other side of the state. So like maybe a year and a half, two years in with Dominoes, he calls me up and says, "Hey, look." I want to move you to Wilkes-Barre, you know, come join our franchise. And I was like, oh man, that's like, you know, my kids are like, I don't know, three and two or four and two or something at the time. And, you know, everybody's here family wise. And I was like, I don't know if we're going to move. And he's like, they're making real money. He's like, they're making bonuses. And I was like, yeah, I've I've heard people say bonuses before. Like they're, he's (laughs) like, I'll show you W2s, you know? So I drive across the state, shows me W2s. I meet the owner, the franchisee, the owner of the company. And, um, I was like, I'm in, you know. So we um, we packed everything up. They moved me to Wilkesbury, and I got out there. And the first thing they did was they said, "Hey, we're going to send you down to work with Freddie Weeby for a week, wow. so you can see his stores down there." And it was just awesome, That's you cool. know. And um, I think at the time, my what, wife didn't think it was, was awesome. What was the biggest lesson you, you learned, know? From Freddie? I think this is a key mentor in your life, uh, even if it's not like shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, it was. Like he was a huge influence to you, right? Yeah, he was. So, so, how did he influence you? What did you pull from him that you know helped you? That, that you, what did you pull from him that you changed in your own businesses? Well, I, th- I think what what he had down there was like what you saw was all the guerrilla marketing techniques. Yeah, like all the techniques. Like he was like. He was always doing something. You shared a couple of the guerrilla marketing techniques that you used before meeting yeah. Freddie. Um, but what was one thing that you didn't think of or that he convinced you to do? Well, like if you go to his stores, he would like to have a blue light. And when the blue light was on, you ran single deliveries. Like that was it. He was like a guy that like you didn't sit around and wait to take two, three, four deliveries. Like you would take one delivery and be there and you would literally be at the door in 20 minutes. Yeah. Like he wanted the pizzas in and the pizzas out. You know, and then I think there was things where he would just have all kind of student specials and a student menu and all these little things, you know. And I think I learned, like, the marketing stuff. I think almost the ex- more than the tactics, I learned the excitement around marketing because I think you have to be excited about when you're, when you're marketing. Because it's like anything. If you just go through the motions with it, 
it's not good. Mm. It's just, you know, you're just going through the motions. Yeah. When you get excited about it, other people realize that you're excited. And then they get excited about it. And it's not just you doing the marketing. Because when you leave, if you're, you know, putting menus and magnets into every order and you leave. You're just going through the motions. Yeah. If, if, if your guys aren't excited about it, if they don't realize why they're doing it, they're not going to do it when you're not there. Yeah. You know, and I think so. I can't say I learned, like, a ton. It was more like the excitement of what he was doing but i did learn a lot like the franchisee that i worked for at domino's that was the one where you can say mentorship is fair to say you know i would never look at freddie like that because i didn't really know him i'm just saying that when i went down there you know you went through his stores and there was other uh domino's employee like from all over the countries that were down there going to it he like opened up his store for a week to let people in there and it was really cool and he would you know he was the domino's um manager of the year and you would you would hear him talk and everything but i think the franchisee that I worked for, he would take you to, you know, he would send you on trips like that. He would send you to the worldwide rallies. Yeah. He had uh, Christmas parties. He had summer picnics. He cared about you. He had a bonus system that made sense. He he had uh, shirts that, you know, you'll see our guys, if when we go in the back here, you'll see they're wearing shirts that say years of service, and they got how many years they worked for me. Like, that's all stuff I took for him. Yeah. It was like, he was a great franchisee, and that that was the difference. You... you had a guy that absolutely, you know, started as a driver and worked his way up to where they had like eight stores in Wilkes-Barre. They were all super successful stores. Like the numbers they were doing, the guys at Papa John's in Ohio who thought that they had great stores would have loved to have these stores in Wilkes-Barre. I mean, they were the Dominoes were killing it. Yeah. And so, so I mean, I'm I'm loving what you're giving us. By the way, I mean, you're really giving us uh, actionable advice, right? Uh, any other key experiences, key restaurants you worked at before breaking off to open your own place in 2012? So we're, we're only like, I don't know how much time we have. We're only at that. <laughs> this is going to be a long episode. I'm yeah, it might be. We're like 2005. It. Okay. You know, so I'm still young, you yeah. know, and I'm learning, you know, all these different things. And I love the franchise. And you're going to these worldwide rallies and you see people from all over the country, you know, big dominoes, chants and stuff. And I took that store from like 16 grand up to 25 grand in a year. Wow. You know, and it was all from just like the excitement. We were up until 4 a.m. It was a college town. I mean, we were killing it out there. And, um, Sunday nights, the, all the general managers would drop the paperwork off there, and then I'd drive it to the, to the uh, office manager in the morning. And when the other managers come in at, like, 12 and 1 o'clock, you know, we're up until 4, they would come in, and my whole team would just break down and do the dominoes chant in front of them. And like, this guy's crazy. Like, <laughs> we just loved it there, you know. And I think it was, like, going back to the whole team thing, right? Like, going back to the very beginning of, like, what made me me was, like, you know, we had a team there, mm. and it was awesome. I still talk to a lot of those guys today you know that was part of my team in Wilkes-Barre even though I was only there a year you've been giving us a lot of advice on guerrilla marketing and uh just you know taking it to the next level but what about um developing that team culture how did you do that well I think it goes back to kind of what I said before like you have to care about people before they care about you Mm. you know so when I went out to Wilkes-Barre there's a guy named Danny who I still talk to today and Danny was a guy who worked for Domino's for 25 years he worked in Vegas for almost the whole time of his Domino's career. He came back to Wilkes-Barre to take care of his sick uncle. And when he worked there in Domino's, um, you know, he was real big on respect. And he said to me when I first came in, I was suit and tie during my interview. And uh, they said, oh, this is going to be your new guy. And he, he said, don't tell me what you have done. If you can show up <laughs> on time and, and actually show up for work, then maybe we'll talk. You know? mm. And he always talked about his general manager in Vegas named Yuna. And he would say, you know, how great Una was. And Una did this, and Una did that, and how great Una was. And I said to myself right then and there, I said, you know, Danny's going to be my measuring stick. If I can end up, when I leave, in the same sentence as Una, 
then I'll know I did something right. You know, so I always use Danny as that measuring stick there to, you know, that if I did right by Danny, I knew I was doing right by the, by everything. And I try to build the team up and get everything there. And I think to this day, like Danny always say like, yeah, you were, you know, he's like, they got sick of hearing about you after you left, you know, cause I'd always <laughs> talk about you. And, and I think, uh, that, that was it though. He, he just, uh, he was that good of a person and good of a work ethic that I knew that that was, I was going to build my team around him. And you want to bring in people that. This is where people go wrong, right? I need to hire somebody. I need to hire somebody. So this guy comes in. You know, I always say, and like, you know, right or wrong, but you know, I say you got a guy comes in in the interview. He goes to the bathroom. He comes out and he's got like toilet paper on his shoe. Like (laughs) you shouldn't hire that guy. You know what I'm saying? Because he's going to come in. You hire that guy, and then um, can't show up for work. He's always taking cigarettes. And you have like really good workers that you've took your time to like craft good workers in there, and you have good people. They don't want to work with the guy who's yeah. who, like that. It ruins your team, you know. Yeah. So, so we got really tight. Like we wouldn't bring people in. We would say, okay, you know, Danny, can you work an extra shift? Because I'm not, I'm not hiring that guy that came out of the bathroom with toilet paper on his shoe. You know, like <laughs> I need, I need my good guys to work more. But the reality of the situation is, you're going, your your team is going to be the average of everybody on your team. Yes. So if you have that one person that comes in, they're going to bring the average down. Like, and and people are going to see, well, you know, if, if what was his name? I, I don't know if he had a name, but if you know, if Johnny's doing it that way, then why am I doing it so much better? Why am I trying so hard? Like this isn't fair. Like, and you slowly start to, you know, drift into that 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 medium right the average of everybody and this is not good yeah and i think the thing that a lot of people do wrong too is we we pay overtime you know we we have a lot of guys that work 60 hours a week or 50 hours a week if there's guys who can work 50 60 hour weeks there's guys who can't yeah if you've got guys that you know hey they're gonna work 40 for you and then they're gonna go get another job and work 20 hours somewhere else like why not have him just work for you 60 hours mm. sure you pay him a little bit more but if he's an a player he pays for himself yeah you know and that's where i think you have to really make that decision. Yeah. Like, you know, if you've got A players, they pay their own salary. Yeah. I, I want to get into, like, more, like, current time. I want to start talking about why you decided to break off and open your own place. But is there any other key lessons from 2005 to 2012 that are worth diving into before we take a break and thank our sponsors? Sure. So after 2005, we moved back home. We got homesick, you know. So we, we moved back home, and I said, you know what, that's it. I'm going to get out of the restaurant business because at that point it's kind of killing – the marriage and everything else working, you know, 90 hours a week, two young kids. Um, and I said, that's it. You know, I, I have to get out of the restaurant business. So I came back and I interviewed for a radio sales position. And, you know, that's where I was going to say, you know, I'm interviewing for the job. And I use that question, you know, is there any reason you wouldn't hire me? And they're like, yeah, you've never done sales before. And I was like, what do you mean I never did sales before? And I told them about all these contracts yeah. I had with, and I left out, um, we were selling school lunches too back okay. then. So I got school lunches. I got uh, all the cafeterias. I told them all that, and they're like, oh, man, if you can sell pizzas to the, the school board, you can sell radio. <laughs> so next thing I know, I'm working at the radio station, and I'm just saying to my wife, like, man, I just want to be back in the pizza business, you know? So I started delivering pizzas for the shop across the street from us. Six months went in. That was like my trial period, and I kind of ran out of being being in the uh, radio station. So I was delivering pizzas, and then um, I called my buddy from Papa John's and said, hey, can I deliver pizzas for you too? So I started delivering for him. Now I was delivering for the one across the street and delivering for Papa John's. And then I said, you know, um, man, it just seems like delivering, delivering, I need to do something else, you know. And I said, well, why don't I, you know, at that time, you know, I had bought a house um, from delivering pizzas and, you know, Everyone's always like, oh, yeah, right. Like, what are you, like, selling drugs on the side? And I'm like, no. Like, I'm delivering pizzas, like, 70 hours a week. Like, yeah. you know, I was able to buy a house. I showed every single tip I got. But 
you get that in the restaurant business. You always get like that it's not a real job, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's the part that I was like, okay, I'm going to go get a real job. So I took the post office test, and I passed. So then I become a mailman, and at the same time, I kept both my delivery jobs. So I've got two delivery jobs, and I'm like a part-time mailman. And you're on the roads all day. Yeah, all day, right? <laughs> so, so I'm like, all right, you know, I'm a mailman. And it was absolutely, from the first day I walked in at 5 in the morning, it was the worst job I ever had. I realized that that is where dreams go to die. <laughs> because what happens is people go there at like 25 or 30 after they can't do anything else in their life, and they get a job there. And they say, you know what, I'm just going to work here till I'm 65, then I'll retire with you know, the magical pension. And that's what people do, and their dreams, whatever they thought they were going to do, die. Yeah. So there I am, I'm, I'm delivering the mail, I'm delivering a Papa John's, and I'm delivering for the one that was across the street from me. Well, he opens another store, you know, 20 minutes away, and he says, hey, we deliver for them too. So now I'm four jobs. And then um, the guy at the post office says, hey, I've got a um, gig where I count the money in the money room at the Civic Arena after the Penguins games at night. Would you want to count money? And I was like, yeah, you know, no problem. Because I'm like, jobs. yes, well, five, five, jobs. five jobs at once for the next two years. Wow. You know, 90 hours a week. Like, I'm just, a, that's just the way that's I was. Intense. Like I said, if I do anything, I do it. Yeah. Like, that's, that's just the way it is. So I'm working, um, you know, all, the, all those hours. And then they came to me at Papa John's. I was like, hey, we're going to fire your friend. Yeah, we know you have a you know, good history of, as a general manager before. Would you want to take his job? And I was like, absolutely not. That's my buddy. You know? Yeah. So I stuck it out for another six months with five, five jobs. And then eventually they came to me like, hey, we're going to fire this guy. That replaced uh, your friend. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I was like, well, I really don't have any ties to him. And I said, I can't work you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week. And I said, I can, I, I'm going to keep the post office job, but I can give rid of the other three jobs. So now I was like, I can go from five to two jobs. Cool. So I was 40, 50 hours a week post office, 40, 50 hours a week, um, Papa John's general manager. I mean, I, I just want to like tap the brakes real quick because I, you're not really giving us like any like specific knowledge right now, but you are just a shining example of like just work ethic. I mean, 90 hours a week and doing all this stuff. I mean, you're young at this point. Like when you're young, man, like put those hours in, like get that, get just put those hours and get that experience, build your network. In just, I just wanted to make an example of that. Yep, that right there, awesome stuff. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, and I'm getting older at this point. I'm like 29, 30. You can't do you it know? forever. You yeah, know? you can't do it forever. Which is why you got to do it while you're young, so you can build up that foundation. Absolutely, and I think you know, probably you know, guys are listening to your podcast. Probably listen, you know, to Gary Vee, and he always talks about like how he missed everything from being in the wine biz- business yeah. and always doing the same thing. And yeah, I, I missed everything. I mean, I, communions, uh, birthday parties, everything. I missed it all. Yeah, you know, and I think it was like. Uh, I always told my wife, I was like, I'd be a pizza wife for life. She'd be like, oh, hell no. You know? <laughs> but uh, now she embraces it and thinks it's funny. But I think, you know, at that point, I'm working all these jobs. I, I got it down to two. I took that Papa John's from $27,000 in profits to $147,000 Using profits. the same tactics that you t- shared earlier or anything different? Uh, different would have been they had a university pit in Carnegie Mellon. I made a, I read a, another one of my favorite books called The Sales Machine. Okay. And one of the tactics was The Dream 100, where you write down a hundred of the you know big businesses that if you could sell a bunch of pizzas to Pitt and cmu was number one so i made a sheet that said professor special um 9.99 extra large pizza when you order five or more and i canvassed everything at Pitt, everything at cmu and we went from having you know a couple big orders to having orders of 150 pizzas 40 pizzas 30 pizzas i mean our mornings so turned into canvas, a monster you're like you're just dropping flyers or pizza like, what are you doing exactly so i would go over to Pitt. And I would walk walk through the backpack, look like a student, and I just would literally <laughs> throw my. You looked young, right? Yeah, well, like thirty ish, <laughs> yeah. and I would take somebody with me, and we would just throw our flyers under all the doors. Yeah. We'd find the mailbox, the mailroom, and just shove all the flyers in the mailroom. And I mean, literally, like 
you know, and before you know, we hit like, like I said, that store was there 23 years, never did a million dollars, did a million dollars first year I ran it. Um, so it was pretty sweet, that's you know, awesome, and I think what happened there was that's where I decided, I don't know why it's pizza, right? Like sometimes you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I loved it. I knew that. And I was like, I don't know why it's pizza, but I love pizza and I want to do it forever. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to do it forever, I have to do it for myself. Yeah, so that it. might give you the good hard break because I'll yeah, tell you the rest yeah. of the story when we come back. Yeah, okay. So we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions. No more guessing. Other features include detailed daily and labor data from your POS system, accounts payable automation, automated bank reconciliation, incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs, and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees, all saving you time, money, and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% on Prime costs. That's awesome. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system, a value of 5k. We're back. And uh, now we're going to get into you making the decision to open your own place. What was, what was the, you know, I don't know, the straw that broke the camel's back that, that got you out of working for other people? Well, you know, it goes back to the post office, you know, being there and realizing like, this is where dreams go to die. And you know, everybody thinks, oh, all you do is go around and deliver to pizza or, I mean, go around and deliver to mail all day. And it wasn't. You went into a place that was like a four-by-four four booth and you sorted all the mail for as long as it took. And then you went out and delivered it for as long as it took. So you could have a day that's eight hours. You could have a day that was 15 hours. You could have a, you know, a day where you freeze your ass off and you could have a day where it's the hottest you've ever been in your life. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it was horrible. And, um... You know, I told the Papa John's after I took him from twenty-seven to one hundred forty-seven thousand. I said, "Look, I said, I'll stay here forever. I love love what I'm doing." I said, "They owned um, nine Taco Bells, six Arby's, uh, gas and oil rights. Like they were just business guys. That's what they were. They weren't really per se restaurant yeah. or They were just, you know, yeah, I business you. guys." And I told him, "I was like, look, if you just pay me what I make at the post office and what I make at Papa John's, like combined. similar, yeah, yeah. combined." I'll never go anywhere. I'll be like your general manager forever, you know? And, and they were like, no, because they said, you know, it has a rate what that job in the industry is worth, quote unquote. And I was like, well, I'm not that typical guy, you know? And I said, um, they said, if you just, if you leave Nick, we'll sell it. You know, that was kind of their, yeah. their, their way. And, you know, at that time, there were many times over my career that I would call like Papa John's and be like, hey, you know, corporate franchise and be like, hey, I'm like the number one guy here. You know, I want to open up a franchisee. I'd be great, you know. And they'd be like, all right, great. Uh, that sounds great, Nick. Uh, what story do you work at? What's your net worth? Like, what the hell is net worth? I'm yeah. like a 29-year-old kid with, 
you know, five hundred dollar car and two. Oh, this is so two, two more kids. You know what I'm saying? So like when I started this podcast six years ago, I only interviewed independents because of that. For me, I grew up in the independent world. My parents owned an independent restaurant, and there's just that. It's like for me, it's like that soullessness where they look at the numbers and they don't look at the people behind the numbers. And I think that that disconnect is just. Ugh, it just bugs me. It just eats away at me. And it's sorry to interrupt, but I mean, I, I'm opening up a little bit more because we can learn a lot from people who, who go that, that route about systems, processes, procedures. All those things are super valuable. But I mean, I just had to. Like, that's like the one thing that I just can't get over. Numbers are, do not mean everything. Yeah. They're important. Don't get me wrong, but sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, they, they just um, they didn't want to hear it, you know? So yeah. I guess it may. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. And then um, I said, you know what? If I'm going to do it, I just need to do it for myself. And I think that's where, um, you know, I literally started walking into shops in, in um, University of Pittsburgh. And I was like, hey, sell me your pizza shop. And they were like, get the hell out of here. The <laughs> fifth guy said, my buddy has a shop over in Bloomfield. Which so is now you're just approaching independence. Or you're yeah. Like, okay. Like literally walking in and saying, sell me your pizza shop. Like right, right down the University of Pitt. And they're like saying, get the hell out of here. <laughs> you know, and at the time too, like, you know, I think, I think this goes back to where everyone's always like, well, how do you get started? How do you, you know, do you write a business plan? And. Look, like I'm a guy that never went to college. I'm a guy that never wrote a business plan. I'm, you know, super successful in what I've done in the last seven years. Like it wasn't overnight. You heard, you've heard of like the 16 year story till mm-hmm. now and all the hard work. But you know, it takes something else. And at the very top, I can tell like how you ask like, what's your mantra? Like this is where to make it happen comes in, right? Yeah. Like, like okay, how am I going to make it happen? And this is where it gets really interesting. And you know, I discovered something. I always when I was working at the Papa John's down there in that year where I became like the took the profits you know super high I had all college kids that work for me and I didn't go to college and I would say to them like hey can you work the weekend they're like oh I gotta study what do you study and they would be like oh I read this book and I gotta write a report on it and I realized I was like that's what college is it's like it's it, they give you a bunch of books and you got to read them. Like, so I was like, I mean, if I want to learn more about marketing, I'm going to read every marketing book I want. If I want to learn how to negotiate for the next so many months, I'm just going to read every book I can on negotiating mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. And all these like self-help or motivational books that I'd read, they kept talking about think rich, grow rich, mm. you know, and, and that book just kept popping out. So then I started reading that book and I got really into the law of attraction mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, um, all this positive mindset, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to open my own pizza shop. And it doesn't matter because law of attraction, it doesn't matter. You just think that you already have it and you know, think, just can see it and visualize it and feel it. And I could see myself in my own restaurant and I could see myself being really successful. And I just didn't worry about how it was going to happen. So I literally went in you know, to buy these places. And a guy that, guy that, uh, kid that worked for me, probably 10 years younger, said, hey, um, I've been working for you for like five years. You know, I'm going to max out my credit cards. Why don't we go 50 50? I was like, fine, you know, because I didn't know how else I was going to do it. Wait, how many, pe- how many places did you approach before you finally got a yes? Five. Five. Okay. You, you mentioned that. Yeah. And they said, uh, oh, okay. So the five stores said so there's a store in Bloomfield. I walk in, I'm like, oh shit, it's a bar. You know, I'm, all I want to do is pick up the delivery pizza shop. Go in the back, full pizza kitchen, everything we needed. Um, sit down, all the numbers lined up. For the next six months, I kept saying, all I wanted was a pizza shop. But the important part is to tell how this law of attraction works into it, you know, and, and how it worked into it was um, I had a the guy who said he was going to put the money and go 50-50, and I would be the guy who ran it. He would be the money guy. Eventually, I'd pay him back. Well, we were going to do that, but he couldn't. When we took over a bar, he actually could not stop drinking, mm-hmm. and so he, he ended up having to leave the business, and he had about 12000 bucks into it at that point. I paid him the 12000 bucks, and that was, you know, 
we started September 14th. He was out by Thanksgiving. To give you an idea, it was two months. You know, wow. It was a shame. It really yeah. was because the guy was one of the only people that believed in me at the time. I wanted it to work. I really, really did. I think I might have missed something. Who, who was, was he already working at this restaurant? Did he already own it and then you were coming he in? He was a delivery help? driver when okay. I was working at Papa John's. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So you guys went in 50-50 to, to take over this, this bar. Yeah. What was it about this bar? Why did this bar and pizza place? Why did they want out? What was going on there? Okay, so they were a uh, Turkish and Indian guy. They owned a bunch of cricket, rest- cr- cricket, yeah, cricket wireless um, locations. Gotcha. They bought it for a nephew. Nephew's, um, you know. <laughs> Oh, this is nephew says. Oh, this is hard. Like, yeah, this right. Is, this is actually work. Absolutely. So that that was the deal, you know. So they just wanted out. We actually, when we took it over, we didn't have anything signed. It was all on a handshake. Um, my partner, like I said, I paid him off, and he and he, he left. I paid him off from the money, the twelve thousand from the business. Um, I had to go to the, you know, and I think when he told him we weren't going to be partners, he thought I was just going to be done too. And I went to the guys I was buying it from, and they were like, "Look, Nick, we see you in here hundred hours a week. We hardly see him in here at all." Um, save up as much money as you can over the next nine months, give it to us, and we'll finance the rest over five years. You know, and, and that was really how That's it cool. happened. And then my parents gave me a small loan towards that, like for operating expenses. Gotcha. Where that would have never been possible if they didn't see that I had my own restaurant. See, what I know? love about this approach is going and talking to people. Nine out of ten people want their business just to be away from them, like especially the restaurant industry. Like nine out of ten people, or probably half, right? You, it's, it took you five times right five yeah. people you ask people want to get out of this industry it's a lot of work and there's a lot of resentment and there's a good chance that if you knock on someone's door and you give them an exit strategy they're going to take it right and that's i mean be somebody's exit strategy go around talk to people ask questions some people are going to tell you to get the f out that's fine go to yeah. the next place right you're gonna find an opportunity and don't just stop at the first one I mean, you stop at the first one but see what else is out there ask five more places in the, by the end of the day see what happens yeah you will find an opportunity yeah. And once I found the opportunity, I, I took it, you know, yeah. and then we got into Caliente. And like I said, I had uh, I was driving a car with three donuts on it. I had a hundred <laughs> bucks. Um, they were willing to like, you know, save up as much as I could to put down in, in nine months. And I just uh, I lived there. I was in the back. My wife was out front. We never worked together before. Um, you know, my kids were, I don't know, probably 13 and 11 at the time. So that, you know, they were. Yeah, they were at the restaurant, about 10. They were 12 and 10. My son was at the restaurant every day. My daughter was at the restaurant every day. Everybody was super excited. Um, Being a corporate guy, I learned a lot of operations, but I never really had recipes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it was just like going off of like taste of how things tasted and stuff like that. So we developed all that. Um, I mean, there's so much at the beginning. Did you go to a consultant? Did you get help for the recipes? No. No. Okay. Well, you know, so it was kind of twofold. So what we did a lot of was we had a lot of taste. Mm-hmm. So we had a, um, I'd bring in like my uncles and aunts, and we'd, we'd say, okay, um, this is the kind of cheese we want to try. This is the kind of sauce we want to try. And then I had a good friend that was a uh, white tablecloth dining chef. Okay. You know, and I would call him and say, hey, uh, what do you think? And he would say, well, let me take you to uh, the guy downtown that's like the old Italian guy that I buy my stuff off of. And I talked to him, and he helped me a lot. And he sent like the sauce lady in, and he was like trying to – show me different products and stuff. And my buddy was like, you know, I would call him up and say, here's my dough recipe. Um, what do you think? And he'd say, it's great, but, uh, you know, you need to put it in this order into the mixer because he was like a baker, so he knew yeah. how it went in. And then I would call him back and say, hey, I want to take this out and put this special ingredient in. Can I do this? And he was like, say, yeah, you can do that. So, like, I had somebody that, like, I could bounce recipes off and say, I really want, a, like, a signature wing sauce, and he would make me, like, a Thai chili sauce. So, like, I had, you know... 
I just need to, like, for perspective, I need to give the listeners, because they haven't heard that you have won three times. Is that the number? How many, how many awards have you taken at the National Pizza Expo? Okay, so at the International Pizza Expo in Las Vegas, three times we've won world championships. So from 2012 to 2015, three years of, from developing the recipe to entering it into competition, you were able to develop the world's best pizza. Yeah, so that was pizza. 16, 17, 18. <laughs> and then this year in April, we won the best American pizza in Italy, too. In so two- just don't like, let things stop you. Like, like, oh, I don't have a recipe. Get out there, talk to people, develop it, improve it every day. Yeah. Like, there's nothing stopping you. Don't let things get in your way. I, I, that was the point I wanted to make. Well, the next point to make, too, is, you know, eventually what I did was I realized that I wasn't, you know, to fast forward to, so like, those first two years, I, everybody opens up a pizza shop and says, I have the best pizza, right? Like, that's what everybody says. Yeah. I didn't say that. I was like, I'm not going to be that guy. Well, I realized real quick that to bring people into the restaurants, craft beer was so big at that point. It's like 2012, 13. Mm. Like, and if you could get, like, a special cake, like a Madol from Trogues or whatever it may be, and you know from being in northeastern United States, like, how popular craft yeah. beer is. If you can get, like, this, you know, geeky beer, people show up for it. Yeah. So I didn't even care about, like, I cared. I don't want to say that. I don't. I did care about the pizza, but I knew that I wasn't going to bring people into my restaurant by saying I have the best pizza just because we're new. You needed a unique selling proposition. Yes. For you, that was the beer. That was the 100%. And, I mean, everybody, how many pizza places are there in a city, right? Right. Hundreds, right? Yeah. So what is going to be different about your pizza place? How are you going to separate yourself? And for you, it was the draft list. 100%. So all I, what I did was, I shouldn't say all I did, but what I decided to do was start researching. I mean, I knew nothing about beer. So... I went ahead and I started uh, every Wednesday before we had the restaurants, we would go to dinner with the family. Now we were going to bars like to the point where my kids were like, do we really have to go to another bar? And I was like, yeah, we do. Because I was going to all the, the big craft beer bars in Pittsburgh. I was like, I wanted to be those guys. I was like, I want to be in the same breath as these five bars. And Your son's 19 years old now? He's 17 20? and my daughter's 19, yeah. Okay, I'm sure that story's going to change pretty soon. They'll be happy to join you at the bars in like two more years. <laughs> yeah, right, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so, so um, you know, and I think that's where I just started to really figure out how to get these great beers. Um, I mean, there's so many things that we did. We we did all kind of different events. We did stuff where I found a license where I realized I could go across the state, pick up beer in Philly that was being brought in from, like, California, and I had a transport license. I could bring it back to how Pittsburgh. How hard is it to get a transport license? It wasn't hard, but it was tricky because you can't get it if you own a bar. Oh. So, you know, I had to figure out that, um, you know, you my wife. You can't get it if you own a bar? Yeah, you can't get it if okay. you own a bar. It's it's basically to move alcohol without in the state within PA. Okay. But my wife's name wasn't on a liquor license, so I got my wife a transport license. Gotcha. And we, so we would literally rent a Suburban, drive all the way to Philly, buy $10,000 worth of beer, drive it like ass end dra- dragging the <laughs> Suburban back to Pittsburgh, put all this beer are on. Are you buying bottles or are you buying cakes? Both. Okay. And then we would market it like crazy. So, like. To get back to, I think, you know, what I've gathered from you doing this podcast so far is, like, you're interested in, like, what works, like, you know, the marketing stuff. And, like, and I can tell you, like, back in Papa John's, I found out that this uh, cold selling and selling to the Pep Boys worked. And then there was points where, you know, when I got the Papa John's that the professor specials worked. Well, here it was, it was this beer. But what it was at that time was it was Facebook. This is 2013, before people knew how to really advertise on Facebook. And I had done a thing called Craft Beer Week, and Craft Beer Week had 10,000 followers. And we doubled our sales the week we did Craft Beer Week. Mm. And I did it because I was like, we sell craft beer. The five bars that I want to be associated with it do Craft Beer Week. So we're going to be you know, bronze sponsors so I can be back, on, back of the T-shirt with these guys. 
you know? And I was after craft beer week, I'm like, man, if I get 10,000 Facebook followers, you know, I'm going to have something here. So I called Facebook. I was like, how do I get 10,000 Facebook followers? <laughs> like, seriously. It. And they're, this is 2013. And they're like, I don't even know. How do you find Facebook's number? Like, is there like a, a hotline that you can call? Like, you got to love Google, right? right. <laughs> so, so they said, give us 1,500 bucks for the month. We'll teach you how to use Facebook for businesses. So that's what I did. I did 1,500 bucks once a week. We'd get a hop on an hour call. And um, I would get on with the, the phone with a guy named Romeo in Phoenix, and Romeo would walk me through how to use it, how to use Facebook for business, like teach me all the analytics and everything. And I beat that to death. And that's that's the um, that's the part where like whether it's the professor special or whether it's being in um, you know those cold selling all the pizzas, the four fifty a week or whatever it is. Like if you find something that works, you know every store is a little different. When you find that marketing niche that works beat that horse to death yeah like that's that's the key that's where i say like what i'm learning from your podcast you want to know like what to tell your listeners when you find that thing you're like man this worked it doesn't matter if it's like you know if for some reason your stores what works for you is the business card into a fishbowl and like that's the greatest thing you ever did like (laughs) you know put fishbowls on all your tables to pull out people you know what i'm saying like whatever that marketing piece is yes 10 exit and when i found out that um it was the Facebook, you know, we're now up to like 23,000 followers. Um, when we buy new stores, we put it out on there and we just kill it with Facebook. And I think that's where, you know, that was really what did it for us. And I think that's where you have to find what it is and just do it to the fullest. Awesome. I love it. Um, so one other thing that I think is really important um, that I think we can gain from you in your story <laughs> in scaling Calientes, uh, oh, sorry, Calientes is uh, that when you... Well, first, how long did it take you to scale, like from one to two? So we opened in uh, September 2012, and we opened the second store October 2014. So two years, a little over two years. Um, When did you know it was time to scale? How did you know you were ready for the second location? I always say, like, I think working all those jobs, you know, I get bored easy. I think that's the, the truth. So once I would go in and I'm like, man, like this store is running good and it's running good without me, it's time for the next one. Okay, so how do you get to that point where it's running good without you? I, I think you have, you know you have to get people to buy into your vision, you know, and and you have to understand who your people are and what what they want to do. So I think what I would do was get a good team around me, and and I always wanted to create a place where people could have a career because mm. you know, like I said, when I called Papa John's, like, what's your net worth? Like, I didn't want to be one of those places. If someone wanted to work here forever, I'm going to create positions for them. So. So how do you get somebody to buy into a vision then? Well, I think you got to have a strong vision. You know, and our vision is that it's one team, one dream. You know, what's, what's that dream mean? That's our rally cry. And what that dream is, is whatever you want to be. If you want to start here as a hostess and your dream is to be the bar manager, like, you can do it here. If your dream is, you know, I want to be a franchisee, like, if you show me everything that you can do and, you know, you're my best general manager and all your numbers are right and everything is, like, I'll help you become a franchisee, like, you know, it's whatever you want to do in this company, you can do. And that's that's the vision that I try to set forth for my employees is like whatever you want to do here, you can do. You, n- I never want to see somebody leave to go to another restaurant because to me, there's no reason for them to go anywhere else. So what I'm pulling from you is a strong vision and a culture of opportunity. Absolutely. Um, what about the actual processes? How did you start implementing systems and processes so you could remove yourself from the day-to-day um, and not make it a people-dependent operation but a system-dependent operation? So I, I think, you know, to get into that, like, so we go from the first store to the second store. The second store we bought, 
was um, real close to my house. Okay. So everyone always says, like, the second store is the hardest. It wasn't um, because it was right by my house. So I could work down at the original one, go there, see that store, and then I'd go, you know, on the way home, I'd go right to the one by my house or start there, vice versa, or whatever. It wasn't hard. Then, um, let's see, so that was October 2014. March 2016, we opened a third store. And in Pittsburgh, Pittsburghers do not drive through tunnels. <laughs> you know, you're from the North Hills or the South Hills, period. We found a great restaurant in uh, the South Hills. You know, numbers matched up everything. And my wife and I, the last question was, are we going to drive through the tunnels? And I said, man, if that's the only reason we're not going to buy it, we've got to buy it. So is, there, is it just because the traffic is horrible yeah. going through tunnels? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that, and I don't know. People don't like to cross the rivers. It's weird. Well, it's a really interesting city. Like, it's like it's segmented into, like, like little valleys, right? There's a like a bridge here or a tunnel there, right? And like they're like little pockets of like all over the place. It's really Absolutely. interesting. And that that's what's been nice too is when we open the restaurants, we like can go in a whole new suburb. Mm-hmm. You know, even though maybe you're only one store is like maybe 15 minutes from the other store, it's a whole different. Pe- people don't people travel in certain ways in Pittsburgh. I got you. They really do, and I think that's where um, being from Pittsburgh, you know that, and that's where you see like people like from Papa John's where they come in, they try to uh, build out a market or even maybe even big restaurants. They fail because they don't realize how Pittsburgh works as far as like how the Segmented. traffic moves. Yes, a hundred percent. Got you. And so when you were scaling, you're looking at the different segmentations and trying to and not putting two locations in the same like segment or the same burg burb. Uh, you're like basically slowly just growing. Was, it, was there any strategy to where you were looking? Well, yeah, there's absolutely strategy that. But I think to get back to the, you know. There's two questions. The, the first question is like the procedures. Yeah. You know, so let me answer that one Sorry. and I'll give you oh, – no, you're good because they're both interesting. Yeah. So when we get to the third store, I realized it couldn't be three places at once. Even though I could somewhat be in two places at once, I couldn't be at three. So the first thing I did was um, my, my friend who was the chef, I had been to the, uh, been to the International Pizza Expo in 2015. I saw the culinary side of it. I realized I'm not a culinary guy. And uh, I was like, man, if we could win these championships. I was like, I know I can't win them, but I know a guy who can. So I sat down and I had a, had a talk with my buddy. And uh, he had been uh, at the same place for seven years. And I brought him into uh, Caliente to be like the regional guy, you know, and to help me develop all the procedures and the and the recipes and, and really as we grow. Because I realized that third store, um, you know, you had guys putting pepperoni on different than they put it on a different store, mm-hmm. you know, and that was just the, the tip of it. There was all kinds of things that were yeah. completely different. Inconsistencies all over the place. Yeah. yeah. So I, I talked to Eric and brought him in and, um, and then, you know, just to touch base a little bit on the championships, then the, you know, I brought him in in June and when we went in March, you know, he did win the world championship. Wow. Like I was right. Like I, I just knew from the way he cooked that he could win these championships. You know, he's that talented. And I think I didn't bring him in just to help me win championships. I brought him in because we needed systems, you know, and he helped me. Like, we'd have ideas like, hey, we want to create a book that has pictures of every product we have, what a pepperoni pizza looks like, yes. that there's 48 pieces I'm on I'm so it. happy you're saying this because I was going to ask, like, what's one thing that you do to instill those standards? And for yeah. you, it's literally like this is what it's supposed to look like. Take a photo. And you don't, don't just do it with food. Yes. You can do it with your line. Like this is what, the way the line's supposed to look. Absolutely. Right? And, and as simple as taking a photo. Yep. And then what else we developed was – um, we made a joke earlier. You said, oh, the TVs are on. The checklist must be, must be up. <laughs> and we have, uh, so we have like a, a checklist for the, you know, TV is a great example. We have a checklist that says TVs, and um, that's for the whatever shift that is. Then the managers have a, a list to make sure that, they're, that that checklist is done. You know, and then Eric will come in and do an inspection to make sure that 
everything is being done. And so he there's checks three on the tiers TV. of checklists. Yeah. There's a checklist that is to make sure the thing is being done. Yep. Then there's a checklist to make sure the person did the things. Yep. And then there's a checklist. What's that third tier look like? The third one is the inspection. It's the outside guy coming in to make sure that they're really doing the job inside. So like undercover almost. Yes. Okay. And then the, the other part of it is, well, whose job is it if TV sit? It's not as simple as turning the TVs on, right? Like maybe the TV's actually broke. Mm-hmm. So whose job is it to call and get the TV fixed? Okay. You know, the problem we ran into the third store is I would, you know, maybe I'm not at the second store for a week. And I walk in, and they're like, hey, our ice machine's been broke for a week. I'm like, what do you mean it's been so broke for a week? So now you're talking about protocol. So yeah. like, if this, then that. Yes. Right? Like a book of like, okay, this happened. We'll check the handbook. Like, what do we do? Right? Yes. Gotcha. So what we did was every single thing in the store, we have, a, um, we have a list that's broken down that has everybody has their own jobs. So like somebody actually says like, this, this is what, this is the bar manager. She's in charge of the TVs. And then we have a list of who you call if all this stuff breaks. Like, you have to have the, the protocols. Yeah. And that's really, you know, it's broken down to all the managers. We have um, general manager, assistant manager, kitchen manager, bar manager, and then they're broken in shift leaders. And then they all have their, their specialized areas of what they're in charge of. Awesome. Um, anything else that you, you want to make sure we discuss? We're already in an hour in like 10 minutes. Uh, anything else you want to discuss? Anything that you think you haven't brought to the table yet that you think is super important? So let's, let's get into the other part of your question you asked was... Oh, that's right. Yeah, so how do we pick a restaurant, right? <laughs> so everyone always <laughs> says... Good thing like, you're paying attention. <laughs> yeah. They'll ask like, hey, do you, you know, um, you want be, what area do you want to be in? You know, I don't care what area we're in. I want a good deal. Ah, uh, that's right. That's what I want. I want a good deal. So what I look for is... I'm so happy you're going back here because this is really interesting to me. Yep. Keep going. Okay, so if I go into a restaurant to look at it and a guy says, you know, I'll say, why do you want to sell it? Oh, I've been doing this 20 years. I want to move to Florida. Okay, I don't really need to look at this. What? <laughs> you don't because he, he wants a ton of money for it. You yeah. know, I want to walk... retire. Yes, I want to walk in and say, hey, why do you want to sell it? And he said, you know what? Um, you know, whether it was a hardship or they bought it for that nephew... Or, you know, they thought that they were going to quit their banker job and open up a restaurant, and it's just they're struggling with Or they're set their wit ends, and they're just, they'll do yeah. anything to get away. Yes, anything. that's the guy that yeah. I want to buy it off of. And then, you know, most of the restaurants I, I buy with, with them financing it. Hey, I'll put 50 grand down. You finance the rest over five years. You know, and they're like, oh, no, I won't do that. Well, you know, in six months, if you still need to sell your restaurant, call me. Yeah. You know, I'll get that phone call. Yeah, uh, three months I'll get that phone call. You know, yeah. hey, you think you can do 75 and the rest of them? Well, I'll come talk to you. You know, hey, you know, the 50 is what I can do. So All the right. value that you're adding is the exit. Yes. Is though being able to walk away with, you know, no strings attached aside from, you know, paying you back. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, awesome. So how do you find these places? What are the, the, the criteria that, that they meet? To, like, what are the checks, the boxes you're checking as you're going through? Okay. So first box is hardship, right? Second box would be it used to be something. So it doesn't matter what this store was the last five. Like this one that we're in is a perfect example. You know, this was um, Irish Bar. Um, I think, it, I don't know what the heck was in here. And then it was a steak. This was an Irish bar. At one time. Yeah, okay. totally picking up on that. Okay, bar. so it was an Irish bar. Then it was like something. And then it was a steakhouse, right? Gotcha. Now, before all that, it was the gold rush. In like the 90s. Okay. People love the gold rush. They always went to the gold rush. So I, I am one of those guys that 
I can bring it back. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that was like kind of my specialty when I was going to these Domino's and Papa John's. I can raise sales. It like, can, I can be great is what you're looking yes. for. It has been, so it has the potential. The potential's there. Yes. The store you were at um, last night to try our pizza out at, you know, it was nothing for 15 years, but at one time it was the place, mm-hmm. you know, and all the all our restaurants we bought at one time, they were the place. Mm-hmm. So I want to buy something that used to be great. Okay. And it doesn't matter if it was 20 years ago. I believe that if the one time they were coming there, I, I can bring it back. So what are, what are you playing off of with that approach? What's, what's happening like on the psychological level? I, I think psychologically, like maybe, I don't know, maybe it's ego thinking that, you know, I, I'm better than the guys that were in there the last 15 years. But like, you know, if it was great at one time, I think, it, and what's, what's awesome is like all the stores that we've, we've done this at, we're actually better than even the numbers that they were doing they in, were their, in their heyday. Yeah. yeah. What I'm thinking is like, you know, there's going to be a demographic of a certain type of person that was going to that restaurant when it wasn't its heyday. And there's a little bit of um, nostalgia there. Right. Yeah. And maybe they miss it. Maybe they want to come back. And when they see that something else goes in there, they're like, Oh, all right, this is, you know, our spot is back. Right. So maybe I don't I wonder if that plays into it at all. Well, you know, Pittsburgh's one of those cities too that, like, if you were like, "Hey, how do I get to the turnpike from here?" and I'd say, "Well, you know, where the Kmart used to be, or wh- whatever it yeah. is." Like, that's just how Pittsburgh is. is yeah. It's all off of like what used to be. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. You know, and like, it doesn't matter that like when people would come in, like, "Oh yeah, we came here when it was the gold rush." I'm thinking, well, "Where did you go the last 15 years?" You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but that's just the way it is here. So I think. Um, that's what I look for is I look for that place Hard, that used to be something. Yep, the hardship used to be something. Any other things that are meeting your criteria? It's got to be cheap. Got to be cheap. Yeah, I'm not going to go somewhere where I have to be able to pay it off in five years. You know, I have to know that, okay, if it's um, a $4,000 payment or a $2,000 payment for the next five years, like I can pay that. I can't go somewhere where it's going to be a million dollars. You know, as our brand has gotten bigger, we've, we've had um, real estate guys approach us and they like take us to like this beautiful um, – beautiful place they're going to build shopping center we're going to put you on the corner lot and it's going to be beautiful and your rent's going to be 14 grand and i'm like my highest rent's four grand yeah not going to happen that's not me i'll pick off a little suburb where we can buy someone else's stuff we can come in we can rehab it real quick so the second store that we bought we bought it on a I, and the other part is I always make sure it's open mm-hmm. when we buy them. That's so another box to check. The, I think the other box that I'm picking up here is like it's turnkey. Yes. You can you – can, because you do these turns, and this is something we haven't talked about, in yep. four days. You can't yes. be delivering you know, pizza ovens in and getting things installed. Like it's turnkey. Right. So you know what we try to do is make sure they're open. And I write right into the deal that they stay open until we leave. So you know they close on a Sunday. We open on a Monday. And if all the licenses and everything works out – we can flip it in the four days. Like th- wow. this one in particular, um, we flipped it in a month and a half, but it really was all permits. Yeah. You know, um, you, so, yeah. So one question I have when you're flipping things that fast, how do you stay consistent operationally? Because you might have different ovens that cook differently or those different variables. Are there variables that we need to be aware of if we're trying to turn and stay consistent? Well, I think what we've done really well is we hire in advance. So we maybe uh, know that we're going to open a restaurant so we're like, you know what, we're going to hire, and we kind of, I eat that salary of people that I'm paying. I may hire like a whole entire restaurant, and then we'll put them into the other restaurants and have them train for a month. So that when we do get here, it's like, they're like, oh, I'm at my restaurant. And they walk in, and it's like, they already know how we do things because they've been training for the last, you know, 30 days. Yeah. So I think that's how we stay consistent. Um, I think the other part is, you know, 
having the regional guy that comes in and we're making sure the recipes are all the same and we're just teaching and as those guys are training we don't just bring them in and leave them alone like a lot of times people just like our training we have a packet for every single position that you work at work from if you're a hostess you have 25 things you have to train on if you're a bartender you have 50 things you have to train on if you become a shift leader the shift leader packet if you're a kitchen manager there's a kitchen manager packet you know general manager packet like there's all these packets and you know we work everybody through all these things before we open a restaurant yeah i love it man this has been a great conversation um anything else you want to bring to the table before we go to the speed round so i think real real quick was you know the story i like to tell is we were so great at the beer and bringing everybody in then we start to win the championships, and we finally get known for our pizza. So it's like this pizza guy finally, like, it came full circle and getting known for all that. And then we got put onto the World Pizza Champions team, which there's only 35 people in the country that's on uh, Tony Geminani's World Pizza yep. Champions team. I saw him on TV the other day on that, like, guess who? <laughs> like, uh, like there's, like, three characters, and there's, like, a... Uh, a celebrity panel and they have to guess which person's telling the truth and he was the world pizza tosser yes i was like oh it's tony and yeah. like, I, I walked into the room and my, my family was like oh you ruined it <laughs> yeah right <laughs> oh, keep going it Sorry. was awesome so you know we're on tony's team probably the highest honor you know i decided to write the book and kind of put this the story in and you know wrote the book so like i'm starting to see like everything come full circle i've had a lot of uh, i've been a speaker out at the pizza expo and um and also at the pizza and pasta expo i'll be doing the keynote so i think i've done a lot of a lot of things kind of predict uh, position myself as an industry leader like I didn't want to just um, be a pizza guy you know I think a lot of times when people get into their business you have to decide what you want right like that's that's a big part of it too and I think what I've d- always decided is you know being that law of attraction guy like always writing down the goals and you know if I look at my goals before I open the restaurant and open them up now like it's so vast of what we've accomplished like it's beyond the cover of pizza today magazine and we've been on it like you can't but how could you say that for just a guy opening a pizza shop? Like, I never wanted to be just a neighborhood bar and a neighborhood pizza shop. I always wanted to be a destination. So mm. you have to know what, what you're opening. There's nothing wrong with being a neighborhood pizza shop or the neighborhood mom-and-pop restaurant. Like, if that's what you want to be, you know, be it. Yeah. And, and be the best it, of it you can. And write it down. Because yes. I promise you, you might decide in your head, this is what you want to be and this is the direction you're going. But you will drift. A year will go by, and you'll forget about these dreams and these aspirations. You'll get lost in life. And then you'll hear something somewhere that says, you know, write down your vision or your, your goals. And you're like, I did that. And then you go, and you, you pull them up. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And it gets you right back on that center line. It's so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anything else that you want to drop on us before I ask one more question and go to the speed round? No, I, I think it tells the whole story, but I think it goes back to that make it happen. And, you know, when I opened up the first restaurant, too, it was knowing that I, I wouldn't fail. You know, it was like what, no matter what it takes, I'm not going to fail. And mm. I think the part when I first started, to, I was like, well, how will I know when I'm successful, right? Like, how would you know? So what I decided was, you know, when I can buy a car from this century, when I can go ahead and, <laughs> and uh, buy a bigger house. And when I – at that time, my kids were 12 and 10. I was like, when I – know that I could pay for their college, you know. After that first year, I knew that all that was going to happen. That's awesome. So it wasn't like that was how I was going to be successful anymore. What it was for me it was when the people who work for me can do things like that for themselves and their families, then I'll know I'm successful. I love it, man. So I've never had to open another restaurant for me. I open them for the opportunities that we can give our people who buy into everything. Yes, this is great. I'm curious. Do you ever have dreams of franchising again? You know what? It's back and forth. You know, if if I would franchise, it would only be to people who work for me, and it would have to really be, you know, that it that I know it's going to work. Yeah, and I think Danny Meyer um, was a 
somebody who says something along those lines where we all know who Dane Meyer is, right? And uh, setting the table, uh, most recommended book on the show by far. And he's known for being that like high scale independent operator, right? And then he opened um, the Shake Shack and he started creating you know Shake Shacks all around New York. And then he got to the point where he had a franchise because the success he was having with his business and his book, he was attracting onto himself so many incredible people. The only way he could scale and provide opportunity was recreating the same thing over and over again. That was the only solution for him. And I mean, I don't think everybody gets that opportunity to be so successful that they have to franchise because they ran out of opportunity for their people. But that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, I mean, if, if that's what happens, that's what happens. I yeah. think, but you know, we just try to create opportunities for our people to move up for sure. I love it. So this is a question I'm trying to ask all my guests. And uh, it's the, the, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So how have you transformed since that... Uh, that pizza delivery boy way back in 1998, was it? 96? Yeah. yeah. So I think I've transformed, like, I've gone through many journeys over the last, like, 20-some years, you know. And I think, you know, you just have to stay true to yourself. And I think the biggest thing you have to learn about is who who are you? You know, so you've got to be self-aware. That's probably the biggest lesson that I think I've learned is you have to know who you are. Mm-hmm. And you have, to, you have to embrace the ugly parts and you have to really... Um, leverage the great parts so you've transformed becoming by becoming more self-aware yeah 100 percent. and they say that self-awareness is the the peak of emotional intelligence yeah and i mean it shows man this has been a great conversation thank you so much uh one more quick break we're gonna come back and bust out a quick speed round Cake makes it easy. Thousands of restaurant operators are using Cake POS and loving it. With its easy, simple to use, and intuitive interface, how could you not? Cake users are achieving peak satisfaction with 24-7 customer support, not to mention lifetime access to Cake University. No wonder customer satisfaction scores are so high. Everything about Cake is simple, including its POS integration with Cake Guest Manager and Google Reservations, which basically allows your guests to book reservations or get on wait lists straight from Google search or Google maps. That's pretty rad. This simple integration alone has increased guest count by as much as 25%. To learn more about how Cake makes it easy, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can save $750 off activation for Cake Point of Sale. But you have to use my links. Again, that's trycake.com slash unstoppable. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurants hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. 
We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? A law of attraction. A law of attraction. What is your biggest weakness? Time. Time. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? A smile. Smile. I love it. Uh, Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a way to be, a way to act. Smile. Oh, that's great, man. Uh, What is the one um, uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within your four walls, but not common within the industry. I think, you know, talking, this will be maybe a little long-winded, but talking about, like, the draft list, like, everything we do with our draft list is above expectations mm-hmm. because, you know, we have it on the board. We have we have able to hand it to you. It's also on the website. Like, we really dive into the draft list of, like, how important that is. Yeah. And what is your biggest challenge today? I think the the biggest challenge is just staying true to the brand mm-hmm. because you, you get pulled in many different directions. Everybody wants to sell you their, their hope and – you know, they want to – what they think your brand should go. How do you stay true to the brand? Remember the core values. Yes, that's why we write these things down, right? Yeah. Um, what is one book to make us a better person or a restaurant owner or operator? The pizza equation. It's the uh, pizza equation slicing up how to run a successful pizza enterprise. And uh, I read it in the 10 hours. It's a short read, uh, 111 pages, I think. I read it in the 11 hours on my drive over here while Jared was driving, actually. Uh, and what's really cool is um, a big part of today's conversation was uh, all the marketing and the guerrilla tactics that you use. And you literally list those in this book, your favorite tactics. So if you want to get better with guerrilla marketing tools, um, that's one book. I mean, there's a lot more in the book than just that. But that was one area of value that I really found. Um, and then you mentioned a bunch of other books today. Guerrilla Marketing. Uh, what was uh, the, the Law of Attraction? Yeah, Think Rich, uh, Grow Rich. Think, think and Grow Rich is, I think, uh, yep. Napoleon Hill, right? Yep. And there's one more book. Sales Machine. Sales Machine. Chad Holmes. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, I'll link to all those in the show notes. I know a few of them are on audio too, so head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable if you want to get those books on audio. Uh, what's one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Relax. Yeah. I <laughs> love it. Um, you know, I, I just to throw another quote, quote yeah, out there, please. I would say, like, relaxation breeds inspiration. Ooh, that's a good one, man. I like that. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that's had a huge impact on operations or profitability? The POS system. I think you have to find your POS system, use the best one you can, and then have a local guy where somebody can service it at all the time. Which POS did you go with? In Thrive. Life? Thrive? Yeah, from Granberry Solutions. It is. Yeah, what was it about Thrive that was so great? I have a guy that's local, so you know they're out of Texas, but I have an actual sales rep here, so if something breaks, like if we have a flood and I need a new server... He actually comes out the night of and puts a new server in for me. I'm not That's trying cool. to call somebody in That's Texas. Yeah. I think people are always looking at the bottom line when it comes to POS, especially when they're getting started because they're on a budget and they're trying to save money wherever they can. And a POS, if you don't have that, that customer support, it will be a nightmare. So really weigh that heavily when you're making your decision. Good point. Uh, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Sure. All right. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you and your, your restaurants will be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about your success, what would those be? You could leave these things behind for the good of humanity. What are these three pieces of wisdom? Um, I think that is a doozy, right? It is a doozy. Yeah. I think, you know, I think one has to be that make it happen attitude. Make it happen. You That's know, pa- positive energy. Um, the second one is like don't underestimate your family. Don't, under, un- don't underestimate your family. What's number three? 
If you're not passionate about doing it, don't do it. Nick Bogaz, this has been a great conversation. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody else. So who's one independent restaurant operator? Somebody you respect and admire. I believe would make a great guest mentor on the show like you made for us today. Have you had Tony Geminani on here yet? I haven't, but I, Tony, I'm con- Tony, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. He's in Las Vegas, right? He's in uh, San Francisco. San Francisco? He has a restaurant in Las Vegas. We're, we're going to San Francisco. Yeah. We're headed that way. Yeah, making our way west. Uh, and how can we connect with you? If uh, we would like to share your, or connect with you, maybe come join your team, what's the best way to connect? Sure. So it's um, Instagram, Nick Bogaz official. Um, Amazon.com, you can grab the pizza equation. Um, pizzadrafthouse.com and pizzadrafthouse at gmail.com to email me directly. For a complete summary of today's discussion as well as any books and tools recommended, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 646 as well as Nick's book, The Pizza Equation, over there. Again, 646. Thank you so much, Nick. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Cheers. All right, Unstoppables. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode with Nick Bogatz. Uh, Here's the thing. At the end of today's conversation, Nick just handed me two books and he said, you know, give these to somebody who wants them. And I got this idea. Why not give them to you, our listeners? So if you're interested in one of Nick's books, The Pizza Equation, Slicing Up How to Run a Successful Pizza Enterprise, here's what you got to do. Email me, eric at restaurantsunstoppable.com that's Eric with the C and in the title of that email put in the pizza equation what I'll do is I'll add you to a list and then on Monday September 9th at 3 p.m. Eastern time we will pick randomly two people to get one of these books also in that email that you sent me with the title the pizza equation put your address and your name in there so i can you know make sure i'm sending it to the right place so uh there you go i hope you guys enjoyed this book and i hope you enjoyed today's conversation thanks again to nick bogatz you were a great guest and until next time peace out